What is it that you delight in? Let your mind run over that for a second until it gets fixed on something. Uh, could be a favorite activity, gardening, cooking. Could be a favorite place, your favorite trout stream, your favorite deer stand. Could be a favorite person or a favorite group of people. What is it that you delight in? When I was a, uh, well, a single man with lots of time on my hands, I thought, uh, or I didn't think, I think now, uh, I taught school for a couple of years, seventh grade. Great thing about teaching the seventh grade is the, uh, the job is always open if you want to teach seventh grade. They're always, every school is looking for a seventh grade teacher. So I became that teacher for a couple of years. Uh, I lived in East Tennessee, beautiful part of the country with hills and valleys and green all over the place most of the year. And uh, I would teach my students during the day. And at the end of the day, I would come home and I didn't want to teach students anymore at the end of the day. And so I developed the, uh, the habit of going out and running. I would just go out in the evenings and, and run. And I, uh, I just, I came to depend on that special, that special activity and I started adding mile after mile until I added more miles than were good for me, which is why I swim today. Um, but that became just a delight for me during that season of my life. Funny thing about that running, I never had to worry about getting back to it if I quit doing it for a little bit. If I had a meeting in the evening, no big deal. I'll run again the next night. If I get sick and I take a week off, no big deal. I'll get back to it. Uh, even though it had been a discipline at the beginning, I had kind of punched through to the place where it was a delight for me, so there was no shame, there was no pressure. It was just something I delighted in doing. Uh, when we delight in something, we're going to find a way to do it, don't you think? Nobody has to make you go out to your deer stand if that's really what you want to do. If you miss a whole season, no big deal. You're going to get there because you've learned it and gone through the discipline, and now you just you, you delight in it. During these two weeks, we're talking about delighting in God's word as the still point of our lives. And we talked last week about how we, we really... We need this. We're, we're modern people. We're busy people. We're, our, our lives are fragmented. And we can't just take something good like Bible reading and try to jam it in with all this other stuff that we do. Uh, we need a still point. And God's word is that still point. And we need to wrap ourselves and our lifestyles around the very important discipline of reading God's word, which... Uh, will become eventually a delight for us. Uh, our main idea last week, if you remember, is that we find delight when God's word becomes the still point of our lives. And we looked at Psalm 119 last week. Anybody crack Psalm 119 this week? Yeah, yeah, there you go, a few of us. Um, we looked last week at how the psalmist expresses delight in God's word. 
We looked at what God, what delighting God's word looks like in one of the stanzas in Psalm 119. And then we looked at how we can delight in God's word. And uh, I'm here to tell you today that everything we said last week is true. But it's not the whole truth. Uh, today we're going to press it a step beyond where we went last week. And we're going to see that God's word brings delight ultimately because it points us to a person. God's word is not valuable simply because it's from God, but God's word is valuable and delightful because all of it points us to the person of Jesus. And so our main idea today, if you want to find your little bulletin insert, our main idea today is that we find delight when God's word shows us Jesus who is the still point of our lives? Last week we worked through three questions, if you remember. This week we're going to work through four imperatives, or we'll just call them encouragements. All of them relate to delighting in, in, in Jesus through different parts of God's word. And we're going to see as we go that uh, along the way that uh, every part of God's word points to Jesus in a special way. And I'll just be upfront with you. This is the closest thing I've ever given to a pure motivational talk. Okay? I go to Kirkwood, I take a class in speech, and they say motivational talk. I say this one. Okay? Because, because I just want us to read God's word together. Don't overthink it. All right? Don't get in some program that paralyzes you because it's too complicated. Just read God's word as we go through the busy month of May, as we get into the summer, which is busy in its own way. Let's all of us each and in that way together read God's word. Our first encouragement, delight in Jesus in the Old Testament. You know, all of the Old Testament looks forward to Christ in one way or another. You know, our culture uh, really struggles with authority, don't we? Uh, we don't like people, I mean, I'm talking about culture in general. We don't like people telling us what to do. And it seems as though we have very little use for authority that is put down in writing. This is not the way the Hebrew mind worked. Right? The authority was all over the place. In the Old Testament, they, Jesus got in trouble not because he claimed that there was, there was an authority. He got in trouble because he said that he was the authority. They didn't like that. But they had no problem with authority, and there was no problem with authority that was written down and encrypted, so to speak, in, in, in writing. In the, uh, the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, there are three divisions. This is the way that the Hebrews would think about God's word. Uh, there was the law, there was the prophets, and then there was what they called the writings. And we see today, and we know today, that all three point to Christ. And they knew that too, actually. Uh, look at John 1, if you would, uh, verse 45. And I'm going to give you about eight short passages today. So this is one of these messages where you have to make the decision. Do you want to try to keep up with me? 
That's okay. You can, you can try. Um, or you can just kind of let the passages wash over you, and that's, that's fair also. But let's start with John 1.45. And this is, this is just this one verse. Uh, this is a, a very quick exchange between Philip and Nathaniel that I think shows us something important about Jesus. Um, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. What I like about this is that Philip is not preaching a sermon to Nathanael. Okay? We're getting this very quick exchange that shows us that right underneath the surface, in the minds of these two young Jewish guys, there's the Messiah. Right? There, there's, there's the Savior. He's coming. And Moses, okay, this is about, you think, we think Moses, we think law, the first five books of the Old Testament. Moses was all about the Messiah. That's interesting, isn't it? This is a little window into what 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 uh, the Hebrews thought. Uh, turn a few chapters in, if you're trying to follow me, to uh, John 5, 39 and 40. And then I'll read those verses and then I'll skip down to 45. This is Jesus talking to his accusers, people who are accusing him of claiming to be the authority. Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Now down to 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? In other words, Jesus is saying that the law, the first five books of the Old Testament written by Moses, is is all about me. And you guys have read the right books, but you've gotten all the wrong things out of them because you're not looking for me. So as we read the law, the first five books of the Old Testament are what the Jews would call the law. We might call them the Pentateuch. Uh, we can be looking for Jesus and delighting in him. Uh, we can also delight in the prophets. Now the prophets would be uh, all the books written by what we call the writing prophets. So think of uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, all those guys, as well as the book of the Twelve, all the little ones, Amos, Obadiah, Joel, Micah, those guys. All right. Um, listen to what Peter says about the prophets. And if you want to go to the back of your Bibles to 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11. 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11. This is Peter talking about the prophets. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. In other words, the prophets, though they didn't know as much as we do about Jesus, they were looking forward 
And, and the gospel is all there about how Jesus would die and be raised from the dead and how he would deliver his people. Um, our kids and us too are memorizing and learning a little children's catechism at home. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. I can't remember anything, so I have to read all the stuff. But then the kids memorize all 145 of the questions. And question number 61 goes like this. It's a little bit, there's a little bit old English in here. How were pious persons saved before the coming of Christ? That's my part. I read that. And then all three together, Greta doesn't, she kind of does it. You know, together, it's real cute. They, they say, by believing in a Savior to come. That's a perfect, succinct answer for how people were saved in the Old Testament. They were saved by faith the same way we are. We know more about the content of our faith, but they were looking forward, looking forward to Jesus, knowing that their Savior was going to come, and they were saved by their faith. And so we can go back into the Old Testament in the prophets and go through the prophets looking for Jesus, reconstructing what we know from the New Testament. And in so doing, we can delight in Jesus. Uh, thirdly, we can delight in Jesus in the Psalms. And this would actually be the, what the, the Jews would call the writings. Sometimes, and Jesus did this in the verse that we opened the service with, they'll say Psalms and they mean the writings, all the books that are left over. So, you know, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, you know, and then Psalms is just the biggest of the, the biggest of the writings. There's a book that I picked up not long ago that is really worth going through. I don't have multiple copies. I can't stand down here and give it out like I did last week. But it's a, it's written by a guy named David Murray. The book is called Jesus on Every Page. Ten Simple Ways to seek and find Christ in the Old Testament. And what David Murray shows us in that book is that if you go through the Psalms, and maybe you did this in Psalm 119, you're going to find certain themes there that later on are obviously about Jesus. Here are some of the themes. God saves by grace, not works. You find that all throughout the Psalms. Uh, God will send a deliverer whom we now know to be Jesus. The Deliverer will reveal God in an unprecedented way, which Jesus, of course, did. The Deliverer will suffer as a sacrifice for sin, which, of course, Jesus did. And the Deliverer will reign everywhere and forever, which, of course, he does and he will. I went to a little small school in East Tennessee or Eastern Tennessee. Uh, we had 423 students when I graduated. It's bigger today, but that's a pretty small college. In fact, there's more people here at Faith Bible Church. My graduating class, we had 70, which is kind of like an adult ed class. So not a real big school. One of the advantages or disadvantages of going to a small school is that you get to take the same professors over and over again which can be a problem or it could be really, really good. And in my case, it was really, really good. Uh, my favorite professor in college was Dr. Ruth Conser. Uh, she was the, the big sister of a, of a big wig uh, down at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School who has buildings named after him today. 
Uh, but Dr. Ruth Conser lived her life in basic obscurity. Uh, she never, she never married. She was in her 70s when, when she taught me. Uh, she spent her life reading great literature and teaching mostly ungrateful students. Um, if you hated to read, Dr. Conser was your nightmare. Uh, if you loved to read, she was a diamond mine. Right? She's one of those people who had forgotten more than all of us will ever know, right? Uh, I came to appreciate her immensely during my time as a student, and especially after I graduated in the years after I, I, I studied under her, I began to look back and realize what I had had in my time under Dr. Conser. And so about five years after I graduated, a, a buddy of mine and I decided to take her out to dinner. And it was wonderful. We picked her up, held all the doors for her, took her to her favorite supper club, and just spent the evening expressing our appreciation. And uh, during dinner, one of us asked her, Dr. Concert, what are you spending your time on? What are you thinking about today? And we thought she'd come up with something real high speed. She leaned across the table and she said, I'm in the Psalms. And then she explained to us the way that she was reading the Psalms. How she would find certain themes, like the glory of God. And she'd start at the beginning of the Psalms and work her way all the way through with just eyes that were seasoned from years and decades of reading great works. And she would just pull out these different themes and start at the beginning again and go all the way through. And as I think back about uh, on that conversation, I find this so gratifying. I have moments where I think of other things I could have done with my life, and it's wonderful to know that whatever I have, whatever I might have done with my life, I would have always ended up in the Psalms. Right? That's where it goes. Finding God's glory there. So we we find Jesus. In the Old Testament. And my first encouragement today is simply to read it. Read the Old Testament in the month of May and in the summer. Uh, read widely. Read big chunks of it. Read it again. Find individual psalms. Read them again and again. Uh, read together. Find a Bible buddy or, or, or a group of people with whom you can share what you're learning in the Old Testament. And then Read, above all, looking for Jesus. Uh, When you read about the nation of Israel and their need to hear from God, ask yourself, how does this look forward to the way Jesus will reveal God to them? These are just some examples. When you read about Israel's guilt and their need to be clean before God, ask yourself, how does this look forward to the way Jesus will take the sins of the world on himself in order to make men and women right with God? And when you read about the way the nation is in trouble, ask yourself, how will Jesus' work as a ruling king solve this problem for his people? Delight in Jesus in the Old Testament. That's the first encouragement. Second encouragement, delight in Jesus in the Gospels. And now we make our way into the New Testament. If the Old Testament looks forward to Christ, the Gospels reveal Christ to us, and they reveal him as the culmination of God's revelation. 
Uh, think for a second about Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. You can turn there if you want to. It's a great little beginning to this magisterial book of Hebrews. It goes like this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Right? That's the Old Testament. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And what the the writer to the book of Hebrews is saying is that if you're waiting for somebody to come who's better than Jesus, you are going to wait for all of eternity because nobody is coming who is better than Jesus. In fact, the theme of Hebrews is Christ is better. Easy to remember. Christ is better than anybody or anything you can come up with. Uh, When Amanda and I went to our first ministry in Germany, we landed in the little town or the little city of Tübingen. It's a fantastic medieval town. There's a castle with wall, a wall around it. and It's also in the, the southwest corner of Germany, which is the old French quarter. So there's not very much English in, in that region. In fact, the region is called Schwabia. And the Schwaben... Or the Schwabians, those who live in Schwabia, speak a, a strange dialect called Schwabish. You ever heard it, Colin? Yeah, it's this, it's this, it's this hissy stuff that kind of comes out of their throats. And, uh, in fact, Schwabish is so bizarre that when the Schwabians speak Schwabish on television, they have to run subtitles so that the other Germans know what in the world they're talking about. So we'd go to language school and we'd think, you know, after a morning that we were kind of getting it, and that we could walk out of there and, you know. And then we'd, we'd leave the school and we'd get a face full of Schwabisch and we couldn't pick up a word. It was terrible. Well, after we'd been there about two weeks, um, we were into what we called our Hansel and Gretel stage of this, of this ministry. Uh, after we'd been there about two weeks, we figured out that we could buy a bus pass that would give us unlimited bus riding. We thought, what a great way to learn where things are. And so we would spend whole afternoons riding the bus, just changing buses, finding our way home, figuring out where stuff is. One afternoon we were riding the bus, and uh, the bus driver took us up these into these hills uh, into a residential kind of deserted sort of place, actually. And people began to get off the bus. The bus began to empty out, and finally he pulled into this alley. It's just us sitting at the back of the bus and the bus driver up the front. And he, get, he pulls into this alley, he turns the bus off, and without turning his head, he begins to shout at us in Schwabisch. Now, we, hadn't, we, don't, we didn't know anything about Schwabisch. We couldn't understand him. But we speak context. And this is what he was saying. Get off my bus. All day long you've been riding my bus. There is no more bus riding today. This is the end of the line. So we got off the bus. Now, that's a terrible illustration for talking about this because God is not a a Schwabish bus driver screaming at us in Schwabish. All right, but 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 the point is still there. Jesus is the end of the line for God's revelation. You're waiting for somebody beyond Jesus. You're going to sit on that bus for all of eternity 
because nobody better than Jesus is coming. And when Jesus did come, he presented himself as one who is greater than the scriptures. This is why he got himself in trouble. The Jews had no problem with authority, but they couldn't stand the carpenter's son claiming to have authority above the scriptures. Uh, Look at Matthew 7. This is actually a substitute for what is in the bulletin. Um, Matthew 7 is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, this is where Jesus has said, you know, you say, but I say. And he keeps doing this. He keeps replacing scripture or actually building on scripture. 28 and 29 says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The Gospels, as well as the whole Bible, point to Jesus as the ultimate revelation from God. So for us, that means we need to read the Gospels. As we're reading the Old Testament, we also need to be in the Gospels. I would suggest you Pick a gospel. Pick one and hold it close to your heart. My old mentor, Mike Lawson, pick John. Because you got Jesus up close and personal in John. But Mark and Luke and, and Matthew are also excellent. Right? In the gospels, read widely. Read big chunks. Uh, read it again. Pick a book. Read it over and over and over again. Read together. Find people to read with, whether out loud or separately, and then share your ideas. Uh, and read, above all, looking for Jesus. Delight in Jesus in the Gospels. Third encouragement. Delight in Jesus in the epistles. Right? These are the letters in the back of our New Testaments. And when we think about the epistles, we need to think about the apostles. Right? These are the human authors who wrote the New Testament books. And we need to know these were just ordinary guys in the beginning. Uh, Luke 6, 13 through 16. We see Jesus choosing these guys. Luke 6, 13 through 16. In these days, he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Look at how much Jesus is investing in this decision. This is interesting. All right, he's really praying about this. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who is called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And the Gospels, apart from revealing Christ, the main thing, shows these guys kind of bumbling for three years as they as they try to follow Jesus they make mistakes they don't they don't get it uh, Peter runs away in the end Thomas is skeptical doesn't believe these are ordinary guys but when Jesus was raised from the dead and after he ascended to the Father and especially after the Spirit of God came on them these guys become extraordinary. And Jesus entrusts to them the leadership of his church. 
Uh, Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. Look, look at how the apostles are presented in Ephesians 2. This is Paul writing, okay, also an apostle. Um, 19 and 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. So Jesus is still at the bottom of it all. He's the cornerstone. He's the one who holds it together. But the church is built on who? The apostles and prophets. The, the, the prophets are the Old Testament guys. But look at where the apostles have, have gone. They've gone from being these, 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 these yokels that Jesus picks, you know, to being these guys who are filled with the spirit of, of God who at least have as much authority as the Old Testament as the Old Testament prophets. And these extraordinary apostles then leave us these accounts that we have in our Bibles that explain the power of the risen Christ who reigns and will return for us. And all of the books in our New Testament have some connection to the apostles. You think about you know, John and Matthew. Well, they were... They were disciples who they were apostles who walked with Jesus. Mark hung out with Peter. Luke hung out with Paul who saw Jesus at, at least twice in, in person. And then all the books of Paul, uh, you know, uh, Hebrews in some ways the most mysterious. Maybe Paul? Yeah, maybe somebody like Apollos or Barnabas. But they were all related to that apostolic band. So when, when we read the New Testament, we are so close to Jesus. And, and, and God has inspired these books so that they point directly to Jesus and explain him. So, read the epistles this summer. All right, just read wild, widely. Maybe read all the epistles of Paul or pick one, maybe Galatians or Philippians, and read it over and over again. Read it every day for a month. You can do that. Find somebody to read it with. Uh, and above all, I'll read it looking to Jesus. Uh, final encouragement. Delight in Jesus through the Spirit in the Word. Right? This tells us, this tells us how God meets us when we read His Word. No discussion of Bible reading is complete without talking about the Spirit of God. All right? The Spirit of God, who is the third person of the Godhead, very mysterious, he helps us understand what Jesus wants us to know. John 14, 25 and 26, Jesus is headed to the cross very soon. Look at how he talks about the role of the Spirit of God in teaching. This is Jesus. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Uh, in other words, Jesus wasn't finished teaching his disciples. He would continue teaching his disciples through the Spirit, and the apostles would leave their Spirit-inspired accounts for our benefit. That's what we call the inspiration of Scripture. But it goes on from there. 
the Spirit's work also includes what he does when we read the Word of God today, even right now, even at home when you open God's Word and read it. And, and, and this is what we call the illumination uh, of the Spirit in the Word, where the Spirit opens our minds to the truth of the gospel. Last passage we'll look at today, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. It's a wonderful little corner of 2 Corinthians 4 that talks about how the Spirit of God works through the Word in opening our minds and hearts. This is Paul writing. In their case, he's talking about people who don't believe. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, what he's saying is that when we read the Bible in faith, there is a recreation and a renewal that takes place. Just as God created the the heavenly bodies and created light to shine on the earth, he opens our hearts when we hear God's word. And this is why uh, the preaching of God's word and the reading of God's word is so critical. Hey, God could have revealed himself in any of a number of ways. He could have given us a dance or a picture or a song. Uh, But instead, he gives us his word and something very special takes place when we read God's word that the spirit of God works in people's hearts. And this is true all throughout the scriptures. So we find a light when God's word shows us Jesus, right? And as we discipline ourselves to go to the word, uh, then this word becomes, because the still point of our lives, because Jesus is. When Amanda and I married, I had a very funny idea. She was skeptical. But uh, I said, we can do this. Uh, I wanted to read the Bible out loud, the whole thing, during the course of our marriage, because I figure we're going to be married 70, 80 years, right? And uh, we got time. And so uh, we just started at the beginning, and we started reading. And we got through Genesis. That was no problem. Um, And we got into some harder stuff. And then about three, four years in, um, I'm going around telling people, yeah, we're reading through the Bible out loud together. People, oh. And she takes me aside and she says, dear, you got to quit telling people that uh, because we haven't read in six months. Right? This, thing is, this thing is broken down. So in 07, we started again. We got one of those little Bible reading in a year things with the little boxes that you check and here in 2016, we're in the month of July, right? We've made it halfway through. In fact, we've even made it through the hard stuff, and we've, you know, waited patiently as we get through the gene. Don't read the genealogies out loud. You don't have to do that. But we're OCD, so we did. Um, 
And now we've got the, the easy stuff uh, ahead of us. You know, we're going to finish. It started out as a discipline, something that we had to kind of program into our family. Um, but, you know, even as, we, as we've gone along, if we miss a week, we miss two weeks, even if we miss a month, we know we're going to get back to it eventually because it has become a delight. And, and that's the way delight works. And, you know, as a, as a, as a faith family here at Faith, uh, you know, we can encourage each other in this, to delight in God's word and to remember that ultimately we're delighting in Jesus because all of God's word shows us Jesus. And if it's a discipline at the beginning, no worries. There's no guilt in this, no shame. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to get back to reading if it, if it uh, truly becomes a delight. All right, we find a light when God's word shows us Jesus, the still point of our lives. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that uh, you encourage us in it. And as a, as a family who trusts in you together, we can encourage each other as we, as we simply read your word, not overthinking this, but reading big chunks of your word, as we read different parts uh, over and over again, meditating on them, uh, as we read together in, in different venues and in different groups, and as we ultimately read to find you, Jesus. Uh, Spirit, you are the quiet person of the Trinity, and yet it's appropriate that we talk to you knowing that you are ultimately, well, you're immediately pointing to Jesus. We thank you for your uh, for your work in opening our hearts as we read the word. And Father, we thank you for sending Jesus and for superintending the, 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 the business of bringing us back to yourself through Jesus and helping us through the Spirit. We pray it all in your name, Jesus. Amen.